Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Gilt. So when it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you're already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. Gelt actually provides a proactive approach to tax strategy, combining innovative technology and expert CPAs by creating personalized tax strategies for your unique financial needs of multiple revenue streams, M&As, restricted stocks, various investments and more. You can keep your hard-earned money. Our, their proprietary platform ultimately gives you the full transparency of your tax management and direct communication with your CPA to reach your financial goals and grow for your wealth faster. So again, you know, if you're interested in this, go to joingelt.com. Uh, and they are actually on the show notes that I'm going to be posting a very special offer for you all that you can actually enjoy. So again, you know, join Gelt. Com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have an incredible guest, you know, a guest that, uh, you know, has not only built, scaled, financed, and done all of that, but also exited. You know, we're going to be talking about the private side of things, taking companies public, uh, doing billion-dollar exits. I mean, really impressive and quite inspiring. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today. JP Erico, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. So originally you were born there in Massachusetts. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up and also going to Catholic school? Yes. Um, so my father was a physician and uh, had the opportunity to work in an OBGYN practice up in Massachusetts, which was away from his family up in uh, Massachusetts. They were, they were originally from New Jersey. Um, and I was born up there during a, a couple of years that he spent up there. But they returned back to New Jersey uh, when I was young enough not to remember. So uh, while I was born up there, I really grew up in New Jersey. So I guess, uh, you know, it sounds like, you know, there you had a, a nice childhood. And one thing led to the next. And you ended up really developing that love for problem solving and engineering. So how did you get into the whole engineering thing? You know, it's interesting. I was always good at math and science. Um, and I remember my in fifth grade, I asked my teacher, uh, my math teacher, where somebody who was good at math and science and liked math and science should go to school. And she said that MIT was the best place in the world. I'm certain that if she had said Caltech or Georgia Tech or someplace like that, that would have been the place that was in my mind that I wanted to go. But she said MIT, and that's what uh, where I decided I wanted to go. And I was fortunate enough uh, to be accepted. And so I went to MIT and majored in engineering, uh, aeronautical engineering, and uh, then decided to go after a, a law school degree because my mother had gotten a law degree. Uh, so she had some influence on me as well. So I was sort of going in two different directions, one in engineering and, and one in the law. I uh, managed to get a graduate degree in engineering at the same time I was uh, studying law. I actually wrote a book on international patent law at the same time. And... Uh, that's how I became a patent attorney. Now, that didn't last long because eventually your uncle, you know, comes knocking. So what happened there with your uncle? Yeah, I was only actually a practicing patent attorney for a few months before my uncle called me 
And he's a world-renowned spine surgeon, actually ran the spine service at uh, NYU in New York for 30 years. Uh, and it was during that time when he was uh, coming up with new ideas, he wanted to talk with somebody. And since I was a patent attorney and a family member, he was actually my godfather. Uh, the two of us began sitting down and talking about new products and, and the direction that the spine field was going. And it was around that time that I realized that I was actually a pretty inventive person as well. So he and I, in the first year that we were working together, developed something on the order of, I think, 30 or 40 patents uh, that were ultimately issued by the patent office and began discussions with many of the large uh, companies in the medical device field who were in the spine world and orthopedics. And that led to us developing a few companies and those companies licensing the technology off and seeing them through to products that could help people. And it was really quite gratifying to meet people that I hadn't met before who had actually had products that I was part of the inventive team to develop in their bodies. Um, so it was, it was a, a very gratifying and uh, fulfilling and financially rewarding uh, business to be in. We, we developed the IP, worked with large companies to see that technology actually embodied and then marketed to people. And it was, uh, it was quite, quite, a, quite a great time in my life. I really enjoyed it. So what are we looking at in terms of sales? Uh, those products, uh, my understanding is that those products have done over $20 billion in sales at this point. It's pretty, pretty incredible. My God, that's, uh, that's a lot of zeros, eh, JP? <laughs> now, 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 the other thing, too, is the impact, because um, they have been, you know, uh, used by hundreds of thousands of individuals. You know, I'm sure that, you know, having an impact, you know, making a difference, you know, I'm sure that that probably felt very good to you and, and to your uncle. It, it is. It's really remarkable. I remember I was sitting out in California at a, at a, a lunch place, uh, meet, met somebody I hadn't met before, and he was telling me about how he had been through a really very challenging time in his life after he had been hit by a car. Uh, he had been a pedestrian hit by a car. He had serious back issues. And uh, he told me that he had had uh, several levels in his back fused. And I said, really? I'm sure that surgery was you know, quite, quite difficult. But do you remember what screws they used when they put you back together? You know, the, the screws and rods and, and other things. And he said, yes, in fact, I do remember it. They told me that they were using products by a company called Synthase. And I, I smiled and I said, you know, it's funny, I think the products you have in you are actually products that I helped develop. Um, I, I, I hold the patents with my uncle on, on those products. And so it was really kind of remarkable. I mean, he was actually almost brought to tears over the fact that it had changed his life. He had been in so much pain prior to that. And now he was able to get back on his feet and walk and run and, and get back to what you're supposed to be doing when you're 25 years old. That's absolutely remarkable. And hey, like everything, you know, like when you, you know, create value, you get to extract value too, because one of the companies that you created, you know, there, you know, was Spinecore, uh, using those uh, different IPs and initiatives that you were doing with your uncle. And that ended up having a really nice outcome. You know, it was like your guys' first day exit. So walk us through what happened there. Sure. So um, you're absolutely right. We developed the technology, the, the initial technology in the late 1990s. And around 2001, we decided to actually take that technology and develop it into a product that we ourselves would bring to the market as opposed to simply partnering with another company. Um, we went out and raised some initial capital from friends and family who saw what we were doing. 
and wanted to be part of it. And then we went out and got some venture capital from some venture capitalists uh, who worked with some private equity people. Um, but things moved very quickly from 2001 by 2002. We were uh, working with the FDA to get approval to start a study. By 2003, we were in the study and rapidly enrolling patients. And sometime in the early part of 2004, we were approached by a company um, that wanted to buy us. Uh, and it was for a lot more money than we had invested into it at that time. At that point, including all of the different capital that we had raised, we were into it for about $15 million. So we had spent $15 million over a three-year period, done a tremendous amount of work, and the offer on the table to buy us was $360 million, which, you know, if you do the math, that's uh, something on the order of 24 times more money than we had spent. Um, and it was interesting because the CEO of the company that was buying us sent me an article in which he talked about the importance of small companies and the intellectual property that they develop and how critically valuable that is to large companies. And in the article, in the opening line of the article, it actually cited that it was on average 24 times more expensive for large companies to develop technologies than for small companies. And I laughed because it was exactly, almost to the exact number, 24 times more expensive for that, that company to buy us than it was for us to develop the technology ourselves. So it was a great experience. Uh, happy to have been through it. Um, uh, you know, there was struggles along the way, but they were well worth it. And how was that approach initially? I mean, did they reach out to you guys called via email? Was it a phone call, LinkedIn message? I mean, I don't even know if LinkedIn was around at that point, you know, or maybe like even a letter on the on the mail, snail mail. So, so how, how did that approach happen? So interesting. Um, they happened to be, that company happened to be a licensee of one of our other products. They had done very well with it. And we were actually going out to dinner to sort of a, a late Christmas uh, dinner in the, in the new year to just rekindle our relationship and meet some new people. And their, their head of their division, their, their president, came up to me and to my uncle, who is my, uh, my business partner, and said, we're really interested in this other product that you've got uh, in this other company. Uh, we'd like to put a bid in to buy you if you're interested. Um, there were other companies that came to the table shortly thereafter also asking, um, but we ended up doing that deal. That's incredible. Now, obviously, 360 million, as you were saying, that's life-changing. It is. Of course, I didn't take all that. Or We had investors. We had private equity, uh, equity involved. And the deal was structured, um, as many deals in the, in the medical device and biologics and pharmaceutical spaces are, with what are referred to as contingent value rights. Um, so the actual upfront payment was $120 million of the 360. Um, and the balance of the $240 million was structured in con contingent value rights, which means that getting that money is contingent on certain milestones being met. Um, and I would say that the lesson that I learned from that experience is that when you structure deals in that manner, you want to make certain that you retain the ability to control the success of those, uh, of those uh, contingent events. You want to be able to make certain that you meet those milestones without interference or control by influences that might otherwise try to stop it. Um, and so you want to you make certain that you do that the right way. 
Yeah, I mean, you typically see that too on deals, you know, where they structure as an earnout based on like milestones and things like that. And I fully agree with you because, you know, that ultimately is a risk and you got to do as much as you can to the risk and being able to unlock that. So absolutely. What about what about here? You were saying that you guys raised from private equity firms. How was that uh, like? Because obviously, you know, the PE firms, they're like uh, sharks, you know, they're all about numbers. You know, VCs, they typically invest more in people. But how is it like, you know, like dealing with the private equity firms, you know, here in this journey? It was a little challenging. Um, It was challenging. I will say that there were points along the way where I became uh, very disillusioned by the whole process. Um, I I would I would really point to one moment. We had uh, we had gotten this offer in across the uh, across the transom from this company. They wanted to buy us for three hundred and sixty million dollars. And at that point, um, my investor group. Uh, including lots of friends and family, et cetera. We owned about two thirds of the company. And, uh, but the venture capitalists and the private equity people, they were opposed to us selling. I mean, imagine you've, you've put $15 million into a company and you have an opportunity to sell for 360. That seems like a gigantic win. But sometimes these private equity groups, they don't want to do that. They want to continue to invest because they believe that the value of this company could ultimately be a billion dollars. And so I remember very clearly having a conversation in which they tried to convince me that I should stay on and we should stay uh, independent and that we could ultimately create a billion dollar company. And I asked, I said, okay, that's very enticing, very alluring. um, But tell me, how much will I and my investor group own of the company at that time when we have that billion dollar exit versus the $360 million exit? And they were proud to tell me that it was very possible that we could own as much as 25% of the company at that point. And so I did the quick math in my head and I said, well, 25% of a billion dollars is 250 million, but two thirds of 360 million is is 240 million. And so I turned to them, I said, so basically you want me to give up 240 million to get 250 million, but in the process take on a tremendous amount of risk and what could be five to 10 years worth of effort. Why would I do that? Um, I understand from their perspective, they were going to go from making 120 million to making 750 million. So it was a huge increase for them, but not for us. And so I, ultimately, I, I convinced them that it was better for everybody involved if we, if we sold. So amazing outcome, obviously, you know, great, uh, great returns for everybody. Now, K2, you know, K2 comes knocking, you know, as the next opportunity, because as they say, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So what happened next? Yeah, so it was actually around the time that we were first negotiating and building um, to the sale of SpineCore that a group of people that I was close with and that my uncle was close with uh, came to us and said that they were thinking about starting a company. um, And did we have any intellectual property that we might want to invest? into what they were doing. And so we got involved in strategically planning how the company was going to be formed and how it was going to be built. And we weren't going to take an active role in uh, driving the operations of it, but we were going to help them raise their first capital and help them with the intellectual property. And that company, uh, it was was such a great experience to be sort of on the outside of another group building something. Because I don't, all of my experience had been with my own group, but watching them function and how they work together and how they thought about things, because I was coming at it from more from the science and the engineering and the financing side. They were coming at it from the sales and marketing side of it. And it was great to see how their strengths 
built their company in a sort of a different direction. Um, they were very successful uh, in what they did. They ultimately, that, that company was called K2 Medical. They ultimately were acquired by a private equity group. Uh, the management team stayed on, uh, fully invested, and ultimately the company went public. And it was ultimately coincidentally bought by the same company that bought Spinecore. Um, so it was a it was a great exit for them. I think it was a, a billion four or something like that, one point four billion. So a great exit for them as well. That's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, second company, you know, second like massive exit like that. I mean, didn't were you like a little bit scared of hey, you know, like things are going too well here. You know, I I don't want to get too cocky. Uh, no, because, you know, I, what I'm not talking about are the few failures that I had along the way. Um, and uh, there were some, you know, we started a, a pharmaceutical company uh, looking to develop an oncology product uh, with some intellectual property that I had come up with. And we had some we had some good successes along the way. But uh, and I still think that the technology is a is a good idea. Um, but, you know, as with these things, it's, it's something of a, a, a roll of the dice. And uh, the product that we, the specific product we developed just ended up not being quite as, as powerful as we wanted it to be. Um, and other products were better. Another example was uh, some technology that we were given uh, by the acquirer of SpineCore. Uh, they wanted us to develop it. They felt that we were better, uh, better suited to developing it. It was uh, in the gastric bypass uh, field. We developed some other intellectual property. We got through animal work that looked really positive. Um, but a competitor in the space uh, ended up having some catastrophic failures in with their product that actually ended up killing some people. And even though our product had avoided the the features of the product that would have that caused those problems, it put a taint on the whole industry. And as a result, even though he had invested a you know a significant amount of money into it, a few million dollars at that point, we really just had to close shop because. The, the FDA was just no longer going to uh, be interested in products like that because of what another competitor had done to us. So you have to be you have to be careful of all sorts of different things that can trip you up along the way. Now, in this case, you know, one thing that you definitely got right was developing relationships with the strategics. What have you learned about this? Um, I, I think that developing relationships with strategics can be very powerful. Um, you know, one of the major investors in, a, in another company, which is uh, I've spent a lot of time on and is now publicly traded, uh, is a company called Electrocore. When we originally started that company in 2005, late 2004, early 2005, um, that company raised uh, probably $30 million from friends, family, and close associates and people who wanted to be invested with us and our, our core group of partners. Uh, put in a lots of a lots of that, um, but we went out and spoke to Merck, and uh, Merck ended up uh, being a, an anchor a strategic into a medical device company. Now Merck is a pharmaceutical company; they don't sell medical devices, and so it was never uh, was never intended to be something where their investment was going to lead to them buying us. But it also, I think, had something of a chilling effect on other strategics wanting to be invested in us. So we had ended up having to do it all with, uh, with investment raises from high net worth individuals and Merck and uh, a small private equity group that decided to come in. Um, so we ended up raising close to $250 million 
to get to the point where we could take that company public um, with, with, uh, without ever actually going out and raising traditional venture capital. Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by .tech Domains. I mean, I can tell you one thing, and that is that as a founder, you're always thinking about branding. Now, one thing that is very important in that, you know, is that you need traction, you need to grow, you need to succeed. And having a name that is recognizable on a really amazing domain is the way to go. So that is why it's very important to establish the online presence with a clear and distinguishable identity. And you can do that with .tech tech domains. So DocTech domains are the go-to namespace to build anything in tech. They have actually helped many brands in the industry to make a name for themselves, just like OneX.tech with their advanced Androids designed to replicate human movements and behaviors. So really, really, really cool stuff and cutting edge. And again, thousands of companies like this, you know, are also taking advantage of .tech domains. So uh, also remember that .tech domains can do the same, you know, for your company. They're also providing a great offer to every single one of you in the DealMakers audience. Is one year domain for $10 and a five-year domain for $50. So head now to the special URL, which is go.tech slash DealMakers. And that is, again, go.tech forward slash DealMakers. So go get your own domain. So just so that people, you know, end up getting it, you know, in a way that is that is simplified, especially for the people that are not so technical. What is the uh, business model of ElectroCore? How do you guys make money there? So ElectroCore developed a, a neuromodulation device. Uh, there's a, um, a technology called vagus nerve stimulation, which uh, has been around for uh, about 35 years. It was developed in the late 1980s by a company out of Houston, Texas called Cyberonics. Uh, and they had an implanted device, much like a pacemaker. In fact, they used to refer to it as the pacemaker for the brain. Um, it was uh, implanted into the chest wall like a pacemaker, but instead of the leads going to the heart, the leads went to a nerve that sits in, in your neck, sits actually right next to your carotid artery. And uh, that technology was used to treat epilepsy. And ultimately they also got an approval to treat refractory depression but it required surgery and it was about a $30,000 investment to get that, uh, get that implant in place. We started studying and, and I, based on some research that I had done, I realized that the product could be used to treat other things. Um, and that what we needed to do was focus on other places where cyberonics hadn't been looking, uh, one of which was in anaphylactic shock, another was in asthma. And that ultimately led us to treating uh, very severe forms of headache, uh, cluster headache, migraine headaches, uh, and going through the FDA and getting uh, clearances to start marketing the product. So currently, uh, we are, our ElectroCore is selling uh, two products. One is called GammaCore, and it has the FDA clearances to treat migraine headaches, cluster headaches, and, and other very severe forms of, of, of headache. Um, and they do that through a sales force that calls on the, the VA, calls on, um, on medical practices to either prescribe or to actually buy and then uh, sell through their practices. And we just uh, recently, uh, at the end of last year, decided to launch a wellness version of the product, uh, a vagus nerve stimulator that is for stress and, um, and managing uh, your stress resilience and your, uh, your whole if you want to call it your sympathetic axis, 
that when you're in sympathetic overdrive, you're very stressed, it's your fight or flight response, um, and helping to manage yourself out of that into the rest, digest, rebuild, and restore mode, uh, which I think everybody in this world needs right now. I think our, I think our world is in sympathetic overdrive, and we need to, uh, we need to all take a chance to, to take a deep breath and, and relax. And uh, our product, True Vega, really does a great job of that. I, I would encourage anybody to go to the truevega.com website and check it out. I think you'll, you'll see some great testimonials from people who've used the product. These are real people, really use the product. And, and the, the, the thing that they always talk about is how much it gives, their, gives them their life back. That they felt that they were, their lives were hijacked by stress, by not being able to sleep, by uh, not being motivated, by the fatigue of, of carrying all that anxiety around. And uh, it just, it helps them manage that so much better. Now, in this case, you know, for you, I mean, you started there as the, you know, like you had the role of a chief executive, you know, for about eight years. And then, you know, like, as they say, you know, founders, you know, their role in a company, you know, is going to it's going to transform, it's going to transition, you know, as the company, you know, matures, as the company goes from one chapter to the next. How has your role changed? Because you you were the chief executive officer, then, you know, you you transition all the way now to being a board member. So how has that, thing, you know, uh, journey been for you? Um, you know, as with all journeys, there's ups and downs. Um, I, I feel that my strength in being an executive or chief executive uh, or in the C-suite has always been on managing people and managing technology and managing finance. When it comes to marketing and sales, um, I I didn't have that background, didn't have didn't have grow up in the field learning that side of the business. In fact, when I when I talked about K2 Medical, it was great to partner with people who had those as their as their strengths because that those I didn't think were my strengths. Um, I think I've learned a lot uh, about those areas along the way, but when the company reached the point where we felt it was we were close to getting our approvals and needed to go out and deal with insurance companies and deal with distributors and deal with, with pharmacies and pharmacy benefit organizations. Those were, those were things that I had never done before. So I was, I'm very fortunate. I have a wonderful wife. Um, my wife is, has been in the pharmaceutical field as a, in HR, so she gets to know everybody. Um, and so she made some introductions to me uh, for people who could come into our company, learn it, and then ultimately succeed me uh, in in running the operations uh, and becoming the chief executive officer, um, and that's what we did. So I, I transitioned from chief executive officer into chief science and strategy officer, which is a role that I held uh, and and gave me the opportunity to take the company public. Um, I really spearheaded that oppor that opportunity. While uh, our CEO really kept the day to day business going, um, I had the opportunity to interface with the bankers and the lawyers and the investors and, and go through that process. It was a, a fabulous, fabulously interesting process that takes about eight or nine months. Uh, it worked out very successfully. We raised uh, close to $100 million, I think a little over $90 million in our IPO. It was a screaming success. Um, and uh, and I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I, I would caution everybody, though, if you're thinking about going public, remember that going public is a financing event. It is not an exit. When your company is bought, that's an exit. When you have the opportunity to sell your shares, you know, hopefully at a profit, that is an exit. 
it's not an exit to go public. It's a, it's a milestone, one that should be celebrated, one that should be enjoyed. Um, and you'll learn a tremendous amount. I always suggest getting people who've been through it um, to help guide you. But uh, it's something that you have to go through to understand. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful experience, but don't think of it as, as an end. It's just a new beginning. And I love that you say that. You know, it's interesting. You know, there's been other people that have come to the to the show and have shared the um the IPO experience, like eating shrimp. You know, in in private jets with the bankers going from one place to another. You know, what what when you were saying that you enjoyed it, I mean, what what were the parts that you enjoyed the most? You know, of that the uh, process of going public. You know, I love talking about the technology, and I love talking about our business. I love talking about the potential of this therapy to do so, so many things. Um, so any opportunity for me to talk to people at any level, whether it be, uh, you know, literally a, a customer walking up to a booth and uh, talking to me about what the, the therapy can do to uh, the leaders of, a, of a, an insurance company, to bankers who are interested in investing or finding investors for us, to investors. I just love talking about it. In fact, uh, somebody once said that I don't think JP has ever sold anything. He's proselytizing. So I do feel like I've got that preacher or teacher spirit in me more than sales. I like to be, uh, to get other people to be as enthusiastic about what I'm interested in and what, and show them how it affects their lives and how they should be excited and interested in what we're doing. Sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not, but um, that's, that's why I found that process so exciting because it was meeting so many new people and people who were open and interested to hearing our story. Um, that's why I found it really, uh, it was exhausting. Don't get me wrong. Um, and, and there was no flying around on private jets and eating uh, shrimp. It was, uh, it was commercial. It was economy flights. Um, but it was two or three a day for, you know, two or three weeks flying to different cities, uh, meeting with people. And, uh, and I just found that the meetings were the exciting part. Obviously, you know, hotels and and taxi cabs and, you know, getting to airports and struggling through security lines and all that. That's not the fun part. But the fun part is succeeding at what you're doing and getting all of these people interested in what you're doing and interested and willing to invest. I love it. Now, imagine you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of ElectroCore is fully realized. What does that world look like? That's a wonderful question. Um, in that world, there are so many people who are feeling less pain, who are experiencing cognitive clarity. Their brain fog has been lifted. Um, there's, less, there's less autism. There's less schizophrenia. There's less depression. Um, there's uh, fewer people suffering with autoimmune diseases. Um, that's what I think the, the ultimate promise of this therapy is. And, I, and, and whether it be something that Electricore does or it's one of our competitors, whether it's that company Cyberonics, which is now called Levanova, whether they advance the technology. In, in the world that I want to wake up in, where Electricore has been successful, all of those other companies have been successful, and the, and the world has, been, has, has grown and advanced because they've understood how vagus nerve stimulation can be beneficial. I, I, I was just talking to some people and I said, I, I really feel as if I'm incredibly blessed 
I feel as if uh, this journey of developing this company, somewhere along the line, a wormhole in space-time opened up, and the instruction manual for life, written a thousand years in the future, has landed in front of me, open. And I had like a minute or two to leaf through it and look at it before it evaporated into the ether. And so I had the opportunity to see it, just a couple of pages of it, and read it and understand it. And that's what I want to bring to the world. I want to bring to the world that little bit of understanding how human beings and frankly, how life works and, under, and explain to them how vagus nerve stimulation, we've known about it as, a, as intuitively for 10,000 years. Ayurvedic medicine, ancient Chinese medicine and acupuncture, ancient Egyptian medicine, all of those things were based on the idea that the human body has two, two places, two modes that it can exist in. It, it can exist in that fight or flight, sympathetically driven mode, or it can exist in a rest and digest and restore and rebuild mode. If you spend too much time in that sympathetically driven state, you are going to find yourself in pain. You're going to find yourself anxious and depressed. You're going to find yourself having difficulty sleeping. You're going to find that your gastrointestinal tract isn't functioning properly. You're going to find that your metabolism is disrupted. You're going to find that you may even come down with cancer and you may have joint problems and rheumatoid arthritis. If that lasts too long, you have to be able to shift back efficiently, shift back into that mode of rest and digest and restore. And unfortunately, a lot of Western, you know, Western society and Western culture is geared around 24-7 access with our cell phones, uh, constant screen time, uh, demands of work that never end, um, financial stresses, um, you know, trying to manage your children. All of these things leave us in a permanently stressed state. And more and more, we're, we're pulling back from the social interactions and the enjoyable things that we need to, we need to have in our lives. And so I think what vagus nerve stimulation allows us to do is to very briefly shift back into that rest, digest, and restore state and hold on to it for a period of time necessary that our bodies can heal and our bodies can get centered and we can be back into that. And I don't want to sound woo-woo and new age because there's a tremendous amount of real science. I mean, I'm an MIT guy. I want real science. I want to understand the mechanisms. So we're there. But that world that you've described uh, or that you've asked me to describe is one in which people have come back to recognizing how important that is and that they're using various techniques, various technologies. Hopefully some of it is, is technology the Electricore has to get back into that healthy state. Um, it will make you smarter. It will literally make, it will change your IQ. It will make you smarter. It will make you more capable of managing life stresses. It will make you more capable of having the energy that you need to in order to, to live life to the fullest. So I want people to feel amazing. I think that that world in which I wake up in, in the future and people are using this technology and, and doing it, that's what it's going to look like. I love it. Now we're talking about the future here. So let's talk about the past and doing so with a lens of reflection. Imagine I was to bring you back in time. And I bring you back in time to that moment where you're a patent attorney, you know, right before, you know, you received that phone call from your uncle. 
and you're able to just enter the office and just have a sit down with that younger self. And you're able to give that younger JP one piece of advice before launching a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Take all your money, invest in Amazon. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I've thought about that one a lot because there's been a few times along the way where I had some extra money and I didn't do that and I wish I had. Um, but in all seriousness, I would, I would tell myself that not everybody who appears to be a friend is, and not everybody who appears to be disinterested is an enemy. And everything will happen if you keep working at it. Um, I, early on, so it was after that 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 time that you're talking about. Early on, I realized that so long as you're not breaking the laws of physics, so long as you're not doing that, everything is possible. The only thing it requires is energy. And so the question is, how much energy are you willing to put into it in order to make it successful? Because you can do it and you have to believe in yourself, but you have to do it with a level of dedication that you you really have no idea what it's going to take until you're in it. Um, it's tremendously fulfilling. It's like being a parent. Honestly, it's it's like having another child. I have four children, four living beings. Um, I have a couple of other children that are in the form of products and technologies and companies, and they all take a tremendous amount from you, but they give back such an incredible gift. Um, so be willing to put the time in, be willing to put the energy in, be willing to sacrifice because it will come back to you. It will be come back to you in a positive way. I love that. So JP, for the people that are listening, you know, that would love to reach out and say, hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, you know, I have a website, jperico.com. Happy to have uh, everybody go there and check, check that out. It's, it's still in the process of being built. It's always being renewed. Um, uh, there's also a great way to, to hear this story. If you get, have interest in vagus nerve stimulation and in, in how we can become healthier beings, um, I do a podcast uh, called the Health Upgrade Podcast. Uh, it's, it's, my co-host is a, is, a, is a great healthcare provider by the name of Dr. Nawaz Habib. Um, so go to the Health Grade Up, uh, Upgrade Podcast. And, and frankly, if they want to uh, get to me, you know, I, I go, go to those websites and, and leave me a message. I'm also on Instagram as, you know, not surprisingly, the VNS guy. So it's the VNS guy, um, G-U-Y. And uh, love to hear from people. Would love to hear people's stories. And, uh, and if they have questions, they can direct, you know, direct message me. And I'm, I'm usually pretty responsive. So I'd love to talk with them about anything, whether it be business, finance, or frankly, health. I love, I love talking about it. Amazing. Well, hey, JP, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Alejandro, I appreciate the opportunity. I've really had fun. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts, or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. 
You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.